All talking. So how's everybody doing? All doing good? Who had the most interesting spring break? Anybody want to volunteer? Who went to the coolest place? Anybody? Everybody's like, no, I'm not volunteering. Who stayed at, who stayed at home for spring break? I did. I totally did. Well, um, good morning. If you uh, don't know me, my name is uh, Aaron King. I just have the privilege of, of being on staff here and um, uh, just have the honor to uh, bring the word this morning. Um, Chad is out getting some well-deserved rest and um, just excited to be here on Palm Sunday. Excited to celebrate Easter next week and the resurrected King. So um, I was thinking during greeting time that uh, the, the church greeting time is probably uh, in and throughout all churches, probably the most awkward of, of the moments in the service, maybe for some people. Um, it can be hard to uh, reach out. It can be hard to go and greet people. And uh, I mean, I noticed this. I remember the first time... Um, the first time in any church is always, the greeting time is always for me when I, I'm, I was visiting new churches is always a, uh, a scary time. Does anybody commiserate, nod? You can be interactive. You can say yes. You can talk. It's okay. Um, that's always encouraged. Um, if you stare at me blankly, I just think I said something really crazy. And uh, so the nodding helps. And I'm like, okay, I didn't say anything crazy. Um, uh, the first time Aaron and I visited fellowship, we... Um, just loved the greeting time, and we loved how people came up to us and talked to us and welcomed us, and just sitting here watching uh, each of you greet each other, uh, it's just a, it's an awesome thing, and um, I was, uh, we were in uh, our gospel community this past week, and uh, Brittany McDuff was talking about um, the greeting time, and she was talking about how um, it can be a really awkward time, that it can be kind of hard, but that how... Um, how we've, as a church, just used that time and seen that time um, make relationships and be friends with people and, and go outside of our, our circles to meet people that we wouldn't normally know. And um, one way that that happens is that um, we do that every Sunday. We have passing of the peace, which is our greeting time, where we pass the peace of God that's been given to us to each other. We do that every Sunday, and in doing that every Sunday, we practice it, and I've found that the more we practice it, the more we love it. So if uh, that's kind of a snippet, that's kind of a summary of the sermon this morning. Um, today we're going to talk about in our pathway series, and so it should say on the screen, practices shape our loves. And um, I threw a, uh, a keyboard up there. Uh, how many of you uh, play an instrument of some kind? Raise your hand. This is also band recruiting. Aha, I see you. <laughs> You didn't think that was, I was going to recruit you for the worship team, did you? But I snuck it in the sermon, so now I'm coming after you. Um, Trent and Sean, make sure you uh, count who all raised their hand, because uh, we're going to find you, and you're going to be up here playing. So if you've ever played an instrument, um, there is a critical moment in time in learning an instrument. And I call it the, mo- the, the time where practice is just not fulfilling at all. Um, so for example, guitar for me um, was my first instrument I ever learned, and uh, if you learn the guitar, those of you who play guitar will know, um, you uh, need these things called calluses on your fingers to play guitar well. If you don't have those, uh, it really hurts to press down on the strings. And I remember when I was learning guitar, um, I, uh, see, I, hopefully I haven't told this story. If I've told this story before in another sermon, I'm sorry that you're going to get it again. But um, when I first learned guitar, I wanted to learn guitar. I was like 13, I think. I wanted to learn guitar because a girl I liked at the time played guitar. And that was kind of my motivation to kind of have a commonality with her. So um, I asked my mom and dad for a guitar, 
and they got me this guitar on Christmas, I think it was my birthday, I don't remember, but they got me this guitar, and I was so excited, and uh, like just kind of, you know, the little kid kind of version of me, I just like grabbed it and ran into my room, was like, I'm going to learn how to play it and come out there and like show them what I can do and stuff, so um, I sat in my room with that guitar, and I tried to play these things, and it was just like, man, this is painful, (laughs) this hurts, and I was so frustrated, I walked back into the living room, and I told my mom and my dad, I said, I'm never going to be good at this. I'm never going to love it. Uh, it's just too hard. It hurts. It's painful. And um, I was frustrated. But what I did is I, I started taking lessons. And repeatedly, I just started pressing my fingers on those strings. And there was a time where the practicing the chords, I didn't sound that good. I would play a chord, and it would sound more like a, a squeak or a clank than it did a note. And... Um, But over time, what I found is that the more I practiced at the guitar, eventually there came a point where I played that chord and I heard the notes and I thought, that sounds good. That sounds good and I love the way that sounds. And that started driving me. That that practice that turned into love, it started driving me to want to play more and play more. And uh, our youth pastor uh, at the time um, gave me and some friends uh, a chance to uh, play for our peers in worship in, in a time where we weren't really that good. And, um, and that was something that just kind of influenced me. But the reason I say that is that, <clears throat> like piano, like guitar, um, there are things that we've been talking about in Pathways, the practices. We've been talking about prayer and community. Um, we've been talking about silence and solitude. And these things, a lot of times, um, it's easy to get frustrated that, oh, man, like, I don't know if you felt this way. I was talking with Trenton a while back about silence and solitude that we went over. And, and I don't know if you felt this way, but... I was listening to that sermon and going through the exercises, and I thought, um, man, I, I really, I kind of know how to do this now. I kind of know how to approach it, but there's some disconnect inside my heart that, that right now I just don't desire. Um, I don't really desire to do it, and I felt so guilty to think that. I felt so guilty. That like, man, like, I'm listening to Chad. I'm just like, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't think I want that right now. I don't feel like I want it. I want to want it, but I don't want it. And um, we're going to talk about that. Our passage this morning is James 1, through 25. We're going to talk about how our practices, you can call them practices, disciplines, habits. There's a lot of words. So we're just going to call them practices. And these practices form in us what we love. And this is something that we all do no matter what. Everybody does it. Our practices form our loves as individuals, as families, and as a church community. So... James 1, 22 through 25, so if you're able, and you can, you have your Bible, or it's up on the screen, won't you stand with me as we read God's Word? James 1, 22 through 25 says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask you that you would, as we sang this morning, Father, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would make our hearts cry out for you. Father, I pray for myself and for the people in this room um, 
Father, I pray that this morning your spirit would do work in the core of our hearts. Father, in the places that we don't understand, the places that are um, driving us to do things that we don't even want sometimes. Father, I just pray that um, there would be a spirit of freedom and power and of love and of sound mind and there would not be a spirit of guilt or beating yourself up or fear. Father, but I just pray that above all we would know that you are the one who does the increase. You are the one who grows desires. You are the one who grows loves. Father, thank you that with, without you we wouldn't even want to want anything good, but that you have planted in us a desire to love things that matter. So, Father, I just pray that not as people trying to earn something from you, but as grateful children that we would imitate you, that we would learn to shape our hearts and aim our hearts toward worthy loves. And Father, I pray that that wouldn't be a legalistic or moralistic thing, Father, but I pray that it would be just a response to your outpouring of grace in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, in James 1, we see uh, this dilemma that uh, many of you have probably heard uh, a lot of sermons about over the years. I know I have. Um, growing up in church, and that is um, there is a difference between hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God. Um, I think we can all say an amen on that, Um, because so many times we hear the Word of God and even understand it in our minds and believe it in our minds, but that that does not translate to our heart and to our hands. So this morning, we're going to look at this disconnect and Before we do that, I think it's important when we talk about doing the word to kind of define that and understand what that means. Um, What what does it mean to do the word? What is the core of doing the word? Well, I believe it's summed up uh, best um, and most adequately, obviously, by Jesus himself. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus is asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So when we're talking about doing the word this morning, we're talking about the core of love. When we talk about love, it's important to know that it says in Scripture, we love because Christ first loved us. Loving God and loving people is the essence of doing the word. But what we're going to explore this morning is how do we love? What shapes our loves? If we look at the greeting time example, we can, um, you know, passing the peace, we can hear scripture regarding the need for community. You should be reaching out to people. So during the greeting time, you should be going out and and meeting people that you don't know. But um, I find that until each Sunday, it becomes a practice Uh, This truth kind of stays up in my head, and I'm kind of like, okay, I believe that. But until I step out and just repeatedly do that, it doesn't really move to my heart. But I find something is that, like the guitar and like the piano, when I'm learning those things, that um, if I start practicing them, if I start just stepping out and working on these things and practicing them, I start to enjoy them. I start to love them. It's something that I can't help. Now, the, the... inverse is also true, um, and I'm going to talk about this later, but um, uh, we can have 
things like that that are really great habits or practices um, like reaching out to people in community or playing the guitar, um, which I love. Um, but we can also have um, really poor, unworthy loves that can be formed that way as well. For me, one of those is uh, this stupid thing. Um, does anyone commiserate with spending too much time on their phone? Anybody? Don't. Thank you, Chase, for raising your hand. Everybody else is just looking at me like, no, I, I don't have a phone. Um, I don't have a TV either. That's like, you remember growing up and people would say like, we'd be like, hey, did you watch Lost this afternoon? They're like, I don't own a TV. And then you're just kind of like, okay. Um, the phone is that now. Like, I've, like uh, my brother-in-law does not have a smartphone. He has a dumb phone. And like, uh, it's just like, every, everywhere we go, he's always like, just doesn't have the smartphone. I'm just like, all right. It's like, pull out your iPhone. He's like, I don't have an iPhone. I'm better than that. <laughs> anyway, I, hopefully this resonates and y'all are just kind of being silent because you're convicted by how much you're on your phone. But um, I'm definitely on my phone way too much. <laughs> definitely. So um, the thing is, is that uh, <laughs> I totally forgot where I was going with that, honestly, because I was just so like starkly just shocked that no one commiserated with that sentence. So it's all right. We'll keep going. We'll power through. We're family. Um, so when we're talking about practice, when we're talking about how practice shapes our loves, think about it. Um, when I started dating my wife, Erin, she's right there. Give a, give a wave, hon, that everybody knows who you are. There you go. I don't know why I did that. Um, when I started dating her, um, uh, I spent time with her, and then in spending time with her, I fell in love with her. Um, our marriage uh, isn't perfect, and uh, we've been going through uh, just a lot of the challenges that a lot of you have gone through when you first have a kid or in, like, the Hershes and Rogers case, have, like, five all at once somehow. Um, uh, it can be hard. Um, it can be hard, but, um, but I can honestly say that in the, in the almost six years of practicing being husband and wife together, like, that has deepened our love. It has deepened our love because we get up each morning and we, we do it. We work together. We practice being husband and wife. And, um, and that has deepened our love. So... Um, that's kind of the first sub-point is that practicing something is going to determine your loves. If you get up every morning and you spend, um, you know, however many hours on this, that's going to determine how much you love this. And that's very depressing for me. Um, but uh, if, you, uh, if you do that, it's going to determine how much you love this. And a, a good uh, little aside on that is that there's an app called Moment that will track how much you spend time on your phone. Um, and then you'll delete it instantly because it's very depressing. Um, it doesn't track Netflix specifically, though, because I'm sure that would be higher for everybody. So the question we must ask is point number one, because I'm going to do three points because I grew up Baptist. So just laying that down right now. Three points is what's happening this morning. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is what do you love? And the asterisk on that is uh, the disclaimer that it may not be what you think. What you want may not be what you think. Romans 7, 5 through 20 says this. For I do not understand my own actions. I do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh... For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, I do, if I do what I do, what I do not want, this is a hard passage to read, right? There's so many, so many things. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. What Paul is talking about is this disconnect between hearing the word and doing it, between wanting to do something and finding your flesh just not doing it. So we find this tension. It's a tension between what we truly want that's evidenced by our practices and what we want to want. Okay? That's a big tension. Uh, there's a book I've been reading um, to prepare for this um, called You Are What You Love by um, a guy named James K.A. Smith. Um, I love authors with like multiple letters in their names. It's just, it makes them sound cooler, I think. He says this, um, Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. Discipleship is more of a matter of hungering and thirsting rather than knowing and believing. That's huge. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our lives and longings with his. To want what God wants. To desire what God desires to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. We are what we want. If we're going to truly be affected by any of these practices that we've been looking at in the Pathways series, whether it's prayer, whether it's reading of scripture, as a church, we must ask ourselves, this is big, not just what does my mind believe about prayer or community, but to what degree is my heart longing for these things? And what that means is we don't have to just ask that question because when I ask that question, I'm revealed at how much my heart maybe isn't longing for these things. And my natural inclination is just to beat myself up and to be guilty and be like, man, um, I, just must not, I just must not be where I'm supposed to be and, and just kind of uh, get guilty and not really uh, do anything, which is, which is not the answer. Not so much how do I know how to pray, but do I want to pray? So at this point, it becomes very clear that more than just the education of our minds, we need to re- recalibrate our hearts. That's why I just love the song set this morning, because it talks so much about our hearts. And scripture says that our hearts are, what, deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Um, but it also talks about God tuning our hearts and guiding our hearts. Mm. Point number two. Point number one, what you want, it may not be what you think you want. It's easy to, I I want to spend time with my family. I want to want that. But if I spend more time checking my work email when I'm at home or checking Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat, um, whatever the kids are doing these days. I feel like such an old guy saying that, but that's true. Um, If I spend more time doing that, that's really what I want. That's really what I love. So point number two is that when we see this, we see that we all have a need to recalibrate what we love. And this sub-point to that is this recalibration happens in our hearts rather than our minds. See, Christian discipleship, uh, at least the the version of it that I have grown up with and a lot of us have grown up with, um, to me seems more directed toward the mind than the heart. It's more about what we know about God than our longing for God. But we must pay attention to our hearts because Proverbs 4 says, Guard your heart above all else, 
for it determines the course of your life. Not your mind determines the course of your life, but your heart determines the course of your life. The reason our heart directs us is because the heart is where we pursue our purpose and our desires. That's where we find the ultimate what we want, our ultimate goal in life. James K.A. Smith says this, he says, The place we unconsciously strive toward is what ancient philosophers called our telos, our goal, our end. But the telos we love toward is not something that we primarily know or believe or think about. Rather, our telos is what we want, what we long for, what we crave. It is less an ideal that we have ideas about and more a vision of the good life that we desire. It is a picture of flourishing that we imagine in a visceral, often unarticulated way. A vague yet attractive ones where we think true happiness is found. That's the desire of the grass is always greener. Um, It's always a vague desire that maybe you're missing out. St. Augustine said this, and we're going to sing part of this um, at the conclusion of this gathering. He said, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts come out of the package restless because of the fall. We're restless for meaning. We're restless for an end. And so we practice things. We strive to find an end. And we find those ends in a lot of different things. But the thing is, is that when we look at Christian discipleship, when we look at spiritual disciplines, we can say, give this person a task, give them an assignment, give them something to do, and that will drive their love for God. But... In reality, I can't pronounce this guy's name, but um, it'll be on the screen. It's from The Little Prince, I'll just tell you that. It's a beautiful quote that says, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I think in our lives, um, for me, I've been, I've been taught more how to build the ship than I've been taught to long for the sea. I've been taught more how to do ministry than how to long for the spirit that ministers. What directs our lives is not what we know how to do, not what we are assigned to do, but what we long for, our desires. So this recalibration happens in our heart, pointing to my head, in our heart rather than our mind. But the second sub-point is that Practice is what forms heart affection. Chad said something in a couple sermons a couple sermons ago. I don't remember the exact one, but it was really it was really um, awesome and um, it's really good marriage advice. He talked about that in his own marriage, but um, he said that undisplayed affection is not real affection. So in in my marriage, I can um, say that I love my wife, say that I want to spend intentional time with her, which is one way that she receives uh, a lot of love, and that I have a hard time loving her in that way. Is um, but if I don't do that. I'm not really affectionate, okay? I can say that I'm affectionate, but if it's an undisplayed affection, it's not real affection. And the truth that applies to this is that love without practice is not love. We have found that our daily habits and practices determine what we want, what we love. It's a cycle. So if our practices determine what we love, 
and we can't think our way to loving. We can't read books that will get us to have that desire. We must practice our way to love. Like the guitar example, if you, if you will practice and work through the time where it feels awkward, where it feels hard, you will develop a desire to love others. If you have a hard time spending intentional time with your spouse, then one way I'm trying to do this is just I'm trying to leave this thing in the car when I come home and spend time with my, with my family. And the more I've done that, the more I've realized, like, I don't even care about this thing anymore. So identify what that is in your life, what the unworthy loves are. Point number three is how to use practice to recalibrate our loves. This is kind of where I want to sit. And um, I'll tell you this, is that every week when we've been going through this Pathway series, if you, if you don't know this or if you've uh, forgotten them, um, we have um, some exercises that are going to be available in the back and available at fellowshipjonesboro.com slash pathways. And this is just a great way for us to practice this throughout the week and to have some time to slow down and to examine our hearts. So I highly encourage you this morning, as you go out, go up to the Connect table and pick one of those up. These things are going to go hand in hand with what you'll see there this week. Number one, slow down and examine. Our practices and the loves they create in our lives. There's an Annie Dillard quote that says this. Um, it says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. For me, um, one thing I have to ask myself is I have to ask myself, what are my autopilots? What do I do in my life that I have done so much and I love so much that it's now something I do automatically? We have to learn to disengage the autopilot. Slow down and examine. It necessitates disengaging the autopilot. Have you ever uh, come back from a trip or come back from something in your life, maybe it's having a kid or some big life event, and you, that kind of gets you out of your routine and you look back and you go, um, I feel like this entire day or entire month or entire year has gone by like that, like almost as if I'm on autopilot. I don't even remember a lot of it. It just feels like it's gone by so fast. That's because we live our lives so many times on autopilot. So in order to examine the things that we practice, the things that we love, we have to slow down. We have to stop. We must become conscious. To become conscious, you have to slow down. We must disengage the autopilot and examine the practices that we have in place because so many of them, for myself, are unworthy loves, unworthy idols. So I ask, your question, ask you a question that I've asked myself. What is your autopilot? What are some of the things in your life that you have practiced so much that they have become ingrained and they are autopilots for you? There's examples. Um, in a lot of relationships, there's a shopper and a saver, spender and a saver. I'm the spender of our uh, marriage, in case you were curious, and my wife is the saver. Um, but uh, when it comes to shopping um, and materialism, the, the more you practice it, uh, the more you will end up loving. Same thing with saving. Is sometimes these aren't bad things, but if they become something that it takes up your entire life, it becomes a bad thing. It's like this. If you're a saver and you practice saving, or if you're a spender and you practice spending, these are, these are not vices. These are not bad things. But when they become, when they get to the point that they become central loves in your life, that they 
are now things you do completely on autopilot without questioning ever. Then they have become things that take up your days and therefore will take up your life. That's the danger of some of these autopilots is that if these unworthy loves end up taking up our life, we can look back years and go, I spent so much time on this and I wasn't even conscious of it. So we must first slow to a stop and examine the autopilots of our lives and ask this question. So I encourage you, like, big takeaways. We're going to have a time of response and just prayer and reflection, but ask yourself, what are some things that are the top autopilots, the top things that I've practiced so much they have become um, things that I love by default? What are some of these things? And ask yourself this question of those things. Is this what I truly desire to love with the whole rest of my life? Because if these are the things you're loving tomorrow, like that Annie Dillard quote talks about, these will be the things that we love for the rest of our lives. Then you'll know what you're loved. Second is, once we examine these things, we must cut back and simplify. Once we identify the things in our lives that I would call unworthy loves, like for me, my phone or my, my comfort our busy schedules, um, there can be a lot of different things, career. Um, what we must do then is to cut back and simplify. Like I said, one, thing, one way I'm committed in doing this is to leave my phone in my car a lot of times and try to put it away so I'm not distracted by it in a way to cut back what has become an autopilot in my life, to cut it back, and then to learn to, in its place, put a love for my family and for intentionality with my wife. Thirdly, after we cut back, once you cut something back, like, um, I don't know if any of you have gardens out there, but I, um, I bought a ho- we bought a house this year, and um, I realized maybe like two weeks ago that, oh yeah, I have to do stuff for that, you know, in the garden and stuff. And uh, so I've started like going out, if you've driven by my house, you're like, yeah, I noticed. Um, so anyway, I've started realizing that um, when you cut things back in your garden, that you have to, it makes room to put new things there. And um, I'm starting to be like, what new things do I want to put where I ripped out this old dead thing that I probably killed? Um, so that's a similar example in your life, that you have to examine your habits, examine your life, and ask yourself, do I want to spend so much of my life devoted to this thing that I've practiced so much that it's become second nature to me? And then ask yourself that question, do I want to spend the rest of my life devoted to this, loving this? then you must cut it back. But once you cut it back and simplify, it creates space in your life for worthy loves. When we create space, we can establish worthy loves. So if your worthy love is spending intentional time with Jesus, cut out the practice of checking Twitter in the morning and replace it with resting in Jesus. And don't feel guilty when it's hard and you don't feel an automatic love for that when you first start. But realize that the fact this is where right here, y'all. The fact that we want to want any of this stuff is from the Spirit. The fact that we even desire to, to want worthy loves, to want to spend time with Jesus, to want to spend time investing in others is from the Spirit. Because left to ourselves, we wouldn't even want to want any of that. We would just want ourselves, and we wouldn't even question any of these things. We wouldn't question having a, a selfish love for ourselves. The Spirit is the one that gives the increase. God will finish the good work he started. We can uproot the weeds of unworthy loves in our lives. You can look at these things and say, I'm going to uproot that. That's a weed. I don't want to spend my life um, devoted to that. 
We can till the ground. We can practice. We can water. But only the Spirit can grow new loves in our lives. Okay? Only the Spirit can do this. I just want to ask you, as we conclude and as we get to the point of just responding, just to pray and ask God, what are the things in my life that are practices that have become so ingrained that they're autopilots for me? And know that changing these practices will change what you love in your life. These practices do not just educate our minds with the knowledge about prayer, community, and servanthood. The active doing of these things, they aim our hearts. They tune our hearts toward our true end of loving God and loving people the way Jesus first loved us. The Spirit gives us desire and ability. This is not something, like I said at the beginning, this is not something we can do to earn God's love or to attain a special tier of His affection. This is something we do because we're imitating our Father. That's a big difference for me. I grew up hearing all about spiritual disciplines. I grew up hearing all about having a quiet time with Jesus in the morning. But for me, all that was was a way to salve the guilt that I felt for my sin. It was a way to replace the guilt I felt in my heart with good works for God. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a God who has taken every broken thing in our lives, every broken thing we've ever done, will do today or will do 10 years from now. And he has said, I love you and I have taken care of it on the cross. We're celebrating Easter next week. It's a risen Savior who not only loved us enough to go to the cross, he was strong enough to raise from the dead and to walk out alive. That is where our identity is. Our identity is not found in how well we do these things. But as children of the King, we want to ask ourselves, my Father has saved me from a life of death and a life of torment, of a life of not even being able to want good things. We want to imitate Him. We want to imitate the way He is loved. Um, I've been doing some woodworking lately. Matt Williams uh, can identify with my feeble attempts to try to start doing woodworking, but um, I've been doing that, and uh, both my father and my grandfather were carpenters. And I find that when I'm in my garage, um, usually sanding things, because that's 90% of woodworking, um, if I'm out there working, I find myself um, just refreshed in my love for my father, for my dad, and for this heritage that's in my family of two generations who have been carpenters and and I find myself imitating him. And I don't do that because uh, I want to impress my dad or because I, I want him to love me because he loves me because he's my dad. But I do that because I want to imitate who he is and the good things about him. And, and unlike our earthly fathers who have good things and bad things, uh, our perfect heavenly father, he, he only has good traits to imitate. We can imitate him um, with complete freedom. So I just want to ask you this morning as we, as we close, if you've been listening to this and you've been thinking, man, I, I have these, these unworthy loves in my life, but, but I, don't, I don't even think I want to change. I don't even think I have a desire to give up some of these worthy loves, these unworthy loves. Um, I just want you to know that the hope of grace and the hope of the gospel is not in how well you can practice and how well you can love. The hope that we have is only in Jesus. He is the only, the only source 
of our desire to love. If you're here this morning and, and you feel empty inside, you feel like you have not ever met a Jesus that loves you like this, I want you to know that he pursues you and he invites you today. And he loves you and he cares for you. And that we would love, I would love to pray with you, Hayden, Trenton, any of our leaders would love to pray with you during our invitation and just to, um, just to walk with you with what God is doing in your heart. So as we close, I just want to ask you um, just to take this time to pray, to maybe talk with your spouse and to, and to really ask God, what are some of these practices that we have established? Yeah, the band can go ahead and come up. What are some of these things that we've established that, that are autopilots for us? And what are some worthy loves that we would like to replace them with? Because our practices do shape our loves. What you practice, you will inevitably love. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that our identity is found only in you. I thank you that in the perfect freedom of being sons and daughters of the King, we can feel free to imitate you and not feel like we have to earn our our identity, but to imitate you because you have freed us to be your missionaries, to be salt and light to this earth. So, Father, I just pray right now. I pray against a spirit of guilt and of fear, and I pray for a spirit of freedom and of power and of love. Father, I pray for those who are far off from you, who have not met a, the real Jesus, but have met a fraud and a counterfeit. Father, I pray that you would draw people to yourself this morning, Father, that you would break down strongholds that you break down walls that have been built up through years of autopilot. Father, I pray that you do that in my heart. My heart, Father, I pray that you do that in the hearts of these people in this room that I deeply love, Father. I just pray that you would do over and above what we can ask or think, that your spirit would have room in our hearts, that we would cut out the dead things, that we would cut out the things that don't satisfy in the end. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us and you pursue us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.